Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are studying the life of the Lord Jesus, and we have taken up some time in Matthew chapter 11, as actually will be in Matthew chapter 11, 12, and 13, and this session and the sessions to come. And we want to go back a little bit to the first part of Matthew chapter 11 and review and then get caught up to present. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Direct our hearts, Lord. Speak your word through us and to us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Now, we began this study on the subject of conflicts and more miracles. And we're going to see the blindness, the obstinate rebellion of the children of Israel concerning the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, in Matthew chapter 11, um, beginning in verse 2, uh, John the Baptist, he comes to Jesus. Uh, he's been in prison for a little while now, and he, like so many others in the Jewish nation at this time, thought that uh, when Messiah came, he would restore all things. Uh, and of course, you know, John has heard great reports of the miraculous ministry of the Lord Jesus, but nothing has changed. Rome was still in charge. And so he sends some of his disciples and he asks the Lord Jesus, they asked rather on John's behalf uh, of the Lord Jesus, um, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? And of course, J Jesus reply was um, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he says this in verse 6, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Of course, the word offended, as we taught our, in, our, in our last session, is the Greek word skandalizo, and it is a verb which means to cause someone to lose faith in, uh, to distrust, or to uh, desert. So um, Jesus is giving John both an encouragement and a warning. He's saying, John, you're blessed because you believe in me. Do not lose heart. Do not lose faith in me. And see, that's a great message for us today because we find many in the church today that have lost faith in Christ. Uh, they don't see anything going on. And, but we cannot lose faith in our Lord and Savior. Everything that God has spoken in his word will come to pass. Amen. We just need to have the patience uh, to stay with it, praise God, to the very end. And then, of course, you know, the rest of this uh, section, uh, Jesus begins to talk about John the Baptist. And he says something in verse 12 that I think is very interesting for us to study. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Of course, you know, the word there means to press into or to seize. People were seizing, attempting to seize and force their ways into, uh, force their way rather into the kingdom of God. Well, John the Baptist brought people to a place of repentance and looking toward the one who was to come. And so uh, that's what the those that had been baptized under the ministry of John the Baptist were looking for. But they hadn't made the kingdom yet. Uh, they were conforming, uh, bringing themselves to a place to where they could. And then, of course, uh, Jesus uh, 
uh, ends up and he says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come. He hath ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus was talking about uh, what Malachi said uh, concerning Elijah coming in the last days, revealing the Antichrist. I mean, not revealing the Antichrist, revealing, revealing the Lord Jesus as Christ. And so now we come to verse uh, 16, and Jesus gives a parable here. He says, what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and did not mourn. So Jesus here is describing both the wedding celebration that the children of Israel uh, especially the establishment, religious establishment, should be rejoicing in Jesus as their Messiah, but they are not doing that. Amen. They're not dancing. They're not rejoicing. As a matter of fact, they are attacking uh, m the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And then he says, we sang a dirge for you and you did not mourn. Instead, the nation of Israel should be mourning over their sinfulness and their rebellion, but they're not. And the pride of their hearts, they're standing against uh, the one in whom uh, they will have to do. And of course, this brings us now to verse 20 of Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And uh, we're going to see some things in this in the rest of this chapter and in chapter 12, if we can get through it in this session, that uh, are going to be a, really an astounding uh, revelation of uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we may have some preconceived ideas concerning our Lord and Savior, but the Word of God is the mirror that shows to us just exactly who Jesus is. Uh, the Scriptures depict Jesus, the real Jesus, not the preconceived ideas and not some of the things that people have come up with. And so we're going to see here some things that Jesus has said that... Uh, brings to us the stark reality of his person, his glory, and his magnificence. So we'll begin uh, reading here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. And by the way, uh, this message, uh, Jesus proves to us uh, that uh, we can be people of love, and at the same time, we can be people of truth. I think sometimes in the church today that uh, that we, we cannot be, if we're people of truth, we cannot be people of love. And if we're going to be people of love, we cannot be people of truth because, you know, after all, we do want to spare people their feelings. And uh, that's not at all the way Jesus is. Jesus loves people. And because he loves people, he's going to speak to them the truth. Now, I do want to say that for those who are repentive, Jesus will come along them and show them great mercy and compassion. But to those who are rebellious and who resist, uh, he'll dynamite them with truth. And I think that uh, we in the church world need to take note of that. So let's begin in uh, verse 20. <clears throat> then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because... They repented not. All right, now let's look at that verse. Jesus upbraided them because they did not repent. So what are we going to do with church members that sin and refuse to repent? We're just going to go leave them alone? Or are we going to rebuke them over their sin? 
Jesus would. We find that right here in verse 20. And we're going to see as we go along. Well, we just want to love everybody. Are we really loving them by letting them and allowing them to get away with the things that they're doing? Well, you know, if if if, if I if, if I rebuke so and so, I'll lose people in my church. What's more important, losing the victory you have in Jesus or losing people that won't repent? We have to settle that in our hearts and in our minds, especially us pastors. Verse 21 says, Woe unto thee, Chorazim, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Remember Nineveh. Remember when Jonah went to Nineveh. And he was not going to prophesy to them. He wanted to see them destroyed because of the sinfulness of their sin. But God had another plan. Jonah went and cried out against the city. And you know what Nineveh did? They all repented in sackcloth and ashes. And God gave them another 150 years of life wherein he could have destroyed uh, that city. I tell you, by being soft hearted a lot of times, it deepens people's sinfulness. It deepens their pride and may cause them to turn completely away from the Lord. We have to be led by the Spirit of God on these things. Amen. Praise God. And then verse 22, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Think about that. Think about what Jesus is saying here. That if the mighty works had been done in Sodom that were that had been done by the Lord Jesus in Capernaum, Sodom would have remained to this day that Jesus is speaking because they would have repented. Think about how vile and violent and sinful Sodom and Gomorrah were. But Jesus said, if if the works that I had done have done in Capernaum, I had done in Sodom, they would have repented. See, so you just don't know. You just don't know what's in a person's heart. Amen. Verse 24. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So here's Chorazin. Here's Bethsaida. Here's Capernaum. These are the cities where the greatest and mightiest works of the Lord Jesus were done. But yet... They loved the miracles, but they would not follow the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to them, you're following me not because of the works, but because I gave you meat. I gave you bread. He said, labor for the things that are eternal and not for the things on this earth. That's why they were following Jesus. They were getting a free meal. And then verse 25 says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my father, and no man knows the son but the father. Neither knows any man the father save the son and he to whomsoever the son will reveal him.
See, what this reveals to us and proves to us is that no man at this moment was born again. Not the disciples, not John the Baptist, not any of the prophets. None of them were born again. It is only through the new birth that men come to know the Lord. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, no man knows the son, but the father. And that's including the 12 disciples. They didn't know Jesus. They were following Jesus. They thought they knew Jesus, but they really didn't know him. And when we say know him, we're talking about not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. And as we go through these gospels, we'll see that the disciples had a lot of doubts about the Lord Jesus. And many of them wondered if they were really following the Messiah or not. See, these things had to be revealed, just like Jesus has to be revealed uh, to sinners before they'll get saved. They may believe in the Son of God or confess that they do. They may believe in the historical Jesus. But until the gospel reveals to the human heart the necessity of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, uh, men aren't going to do that. They're just not going to do it. And then, of course, these great last three verses in chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So what Jesus is saying is up to this point, no man has found rest in the Lord Jesus because he has not gone to the cross yet. They are following him for various reasons, but they have not received rest. And then Jesus finishes in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, let's look at this word labor. It's a present active participle, and basically it means to grow weary. It means to become toilsome and exhausted. And it speaks of those who are trying to press into the kingdom of God, but they're doing it through their own good merits and they're doing it through their own deeds. Some of them may have been saying, well, I went ahead and got baptized by John. I guess I'm ready to get into the kingdom. I want to be into the kingdom. But no, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. No man can get into the kingdom until Jesus gives his life as a sacrifice for many. And then the word rest, it means a ceasing from extraneous labor or toil. See, we have to rest in Jesus. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God based upon our own good works. We can't go before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I am the best Christian in this church. And so you're, you must do this for me because of all that I do for this church. I'm the best Christian in this church. So you are obligated to do this for me. That's the best way to get Jesus not to do anything for you. Amen. Praise God. See, we have to rest in Jesus. We have to cease from our toil, from our labor to get into the kingdom of God and just rest in him. Just rely and have faith in him and rely upon him to do just exactly what he said he would do. Just have a simple faith in Christ. Amen. Be a suppliant. And simply by faith in Christ, go to him, humble ourselves to him, surrender to him. 
and he will give us rest. I remember the very night that I got born again. The very first thing that I sensed after Jesus came into my heart and life was this overwhelming sense of peace and of rest. Amen. I have found that which I have sought for my entire life. That was in Jesus. Praise God. But now that's not all we are to do. Yes, we'll find rest. Praise God. We'll find rest to our souls. But notice Jesus didn't stop there. He said, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when we come to Christ and we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are no longer our own. We are his. Amen. There's a great exchange. We give God our life and he gives us his life. We find rest in him, but then we take his yoke upon us. And of course, what does that yoke mean? It means to join. That's basically what it means. It means to join to. As a slave is joined to a master through either purchase or as a gift. See, Jesus, we Jesus now has become our master through purchase. He has purchased us through his death, burial and resurrection. That's the yoke. We take his yoke upon us. Amen. And of course, his yoke is easy, not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees attempted to place a yoke upon the children of Israel. Things that would be just impossible for a normal person uh, to obey and to do. Jesus is not like that. He says, my yoke is easy. Praise God. He gives us the spirit. And then once he gives us the spirit, he expects us to be led by the spirit of God. And if we learn to be led by the spirit of God, amen, he'll lead us beside the still waters and the green pastures and he will restore our soul and he'll uh, anoint our head with oil and our cup will run over. Praise God. And surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. And then he also says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Methete. It means to learn by use, by habit, by experience. We get to know Jesus in a practical way. <coughs> and not just in a practical way but in a material way, too, by the fact that he answers our prayers. Praise God. Amen. So once again, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God. Amen. That's what Jesus does for us. Glory to God. All right. Then <clears throat> there is an event in the ministry of Jesus between chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Matthew. It's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and through 50. We'll not uh, take time to go through there, but it would be a worthy study. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Amen. Uh, so this is an event in the ministry of Jesus recorded by Luke. And this is when a Pharisee invites Jesus to come into his house to eat. And there was a woman who is called a sinner. She comes in and she finds Jesus. And he, she stands at his feet and she begins to wipe and wash 
uh, his feet with their tears and anoints, kisses his feet and anoints them with ointment. And of course, the Pharisee, he says within himself that this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner. And then Jesus talks to them, talks to the Pharisee by the name of Simon, and he asks him some things concerning uh, how welcome he was in his home. And he says things like, uh, uh, and verse 43, he answered, Simon answered and said, you know, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he turns to the woman, Jesus does, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. That was a customary. That was customary for guests to be given water and for servants to wash the, uh, uh, the guest's feet. But Simon didn't do that. And then he goes on and he says, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. I wonder how customary it is for us to welcome the spirit of Christ into our home. I wonder, we, do we act one way in church and then another way at home? Or is Jesus welcome into our hearts in church service, but he's also welcome in our hearts at home? In other words, we conduct our home in such a way where the spirit of Christ is sensed when people walk through the door. The spirit of peace, spirit of rest. And then uh, Jesus goes on. And he says this, and you gave me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you, you didn't anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth much. See, the Pharisee didn't feel like he had anything for, to, uh, to forgive or to be forgiven for. But come to find out, the Pharisee had more to repent of than what he thought, you see. And that's the danger of pride. Pride always comes before a fall. Pride makes us think, well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Oh, I don't have that many sins. Well, you know, I may have a few, but yeah, I'll get into heaven anyway. See, that's pride. I believe the Lord Jesus will have to say something to us concerning that. So we are to humble ourselves. Amen. And then he says this in verses 50. He says, and he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. Now, you t we're talking about the Old Testament economy. We're talking about Jesus forgiving this woman, this woman of sin because she repented in such a way that uh, that Jesus understood that what she was doing, she was doing by faith. She was given everything that she had. She humbled herself. She was repentive and she went away free from sin. And I say, praise God for that. Man, I tell you what, that is such, an, such a, a wonderful, wonderful story. And then now we come to Matthew chapter 12, and I, I can see right now, I don't think we're going to be able to get too far with this. We may be, well, we'll get through the, the first eight verses, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to pick up in our next session. And uh, this, once again, is Jesus. He's contending with opposition posed by the Jews. And we're going to see some things here that, uh, that are very important for us to understand concerning the personality and the person of the Lord Jesus.
So I certainly hope that uh, in listening to this session, you'll listen to the next session, too. Now, beginning in verse one of Matthew, chapter 12, at that time, Jesus notices he went on the Sabbath through the grain fields. Now, we're talking about a Sabbath day and we're still in Galilee. He's traveling through the the uh, the area of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching and healing. And uh, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. In other words, they're castigating the Lord Jesus. They're rebuking him on behalf of what his disciples did. But see, the Pharisees don't know the word of God as much as they think they do. And there's reasons for that. And the reason is they didn't necessarily study the word of God for themselves. They spent more time studying after the scribes, after the great teachers than they did the word of God. And if they had, they would have realized that this is permissible under Levitical law. Deuteronomy 23, 25, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. These disciples were hungry. You see, and Jesus is going to talk here about the law versus compassion and mercy. And then, of course, in verse two, uh, verse three, rather. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. See, the priests in David's day, they understood that providing bread for weary and hungry travelers was not a, a violation of the Levitical law, even though the bread that they had was strictly for the priests. And then verse five, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say unto you that something greater than the temple is here. Notice that. Let me say it again. Let me read this again. But I say to you that something greater, we could say it, someone greater than the temple is here. Jesus is Lord over the temple. Just like Jesus is Lord over the church. We can call such and such church our church mainly because that's where we go to worship God. But it's not our church. It's the Lord's church. And that's the way we ought to treat it. We ought to treat our church in the same way that we would treat the Lord's Jesus if we were standing before him. Amen. So there is something about compassion and mercy concerning the law. You see, legalists, they want to stick by the law. Like one guy told me because I was sick and missed the service. So I certainly hope you don't die and go to hell. Well, I believe there's a little bit more compassion in the kingdom of God than that. And then verses seven and eight, we'll, we'll wind up here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in ending this session out, Remember the great compassion that Jesus had for that woman, that sinner that came to him, weeping, standing before him, washing his feet with her tears. 
and anointing them. She came with a heart so repentant, so broken, so tired of her sin and so desiring to be free. Jesus forgave her. But at the same time, remember Simon. Simon thought he didn't have anything to repent of. And so the normal customary duties that he would give to a guest, he refused to give to the Lord Jesus. And that's the way it is a lot in the world today. There's people that think, well, I don't have anything uh, to repent of. Well, you and I might have more to repent of than what we realize, you see. And that's why it's so important for us to know Jesus and to humble ourselves before him. Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. And Lord, we ask you to rest this teaching today in our hearts, now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.